Welcome to Changeboard's Future Talent Podcast, our series of exclusive interviews with senior business leaders and thinkers to uncover their perspectives on the changing world of work. I'm Jim Carrick-Burtwell, Changeboard's CEO and founder. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe. The Future Talent Podcast is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, I'm joined by Lucinda Charles-Jones, Group HR Director for AXA in the UK and Ireland. With over 20 years of experience in human resources, Lucinda has held senior positions in a number of businesses and sectors, including Barclays Bank, Hayes and the REC. In this interview, Lucinda explains how digital disruption has impacted the insurer's business and their people function, and discusses how business can react to increased longevity and the trends associated with it. I mean, Lucinda, it would be great to to hear a little bit about your career and, and how you've ended up in this role. Mm, sure. So I've worked in HR for pretty much all of my career, actually, but in quite a diverse range of organisations. So both uh, UK and international and both B2B and B2C. And I think um, I was also lucky enough to get promoted to the board very early in my career. So I think what that's made me is both quite diverse in my outlook, but also very commercial in my outlook as well. So I would definitely consider myself a director first and an HR director second. So the sort of organizations I've worked in, as I say, quite a diverse portfolio. So from my early days in an engineering consultancy through to retail banking at Barclays, RAC, um, Hayes, the global recruitment business is their global HRD, uh, two stints at AXA, as you said. But in between those two stints, I work for a private equity-backed insurance business. So I'm not an insurance business expert at all by background, as you'll see. Uh, quite diverse, but three and a half years at AXA, as you say. And uh, my role here is the group HR director for the UK Ireland business. In the course of my three-year stint so far, I've also had another job. So as well as being the HRD for UK and Ireland, I also had a global role as well. Um, but happily now I'm back just to doing the one job rather than trying to do two, which is always good. Totally good. And what, what, are, what are your areas of focus? What are your main priorities at the minute? So I think all HR directors probably wear two hats. So the first hat I wear is as a member of the management committee, it's the commercial contribution that I make more broadly to the organisation. So I consider myself as accountable for financial results as any of our P&L leads. So there is the role that I play more broadly on the MC on that aspect. And as an extra dimension to that, we have a new CEO, Claudio Genal, who joined at the beginning of September. So clearly I'm working closely with him um, as he starts to understand the UK and Ireland business. So that's the, the MC nature of what I do. But obviously, being the HRD, I lead the people agenda. And we have three broad priorities around that people agenda. How do we find and develop great people? How do we promote cultural change and transformation? And how do we improve our employee experience? And we have a, a range of activities under each of those that we focus on. And, and how have some of those priorities changed? over time um, when you say in terms of finding mm. the right people last time we met we were talking about mm. uh, quite a lot of disruption in terms of the traditional ways that you mm. would have found people any examples of that yeah so I think probably a good example would be um, the work we do around uh, early careers but in the, in the biggest sense of the word early careers so you might be aware that we used to have a formal graduate training program uh, recruitment program we've now stopped that from a UK Ireland perspective and not globally so there are many other countries where we continue to recruit graduates under a formal scheme so what I would say about that is a couple of things 
So firstly, obviously we still recruit graduates. We just don't recruit them on a formal graduate recruitment scheme. We are now much more focused around apprenticeships. So apprenticeships and infaras that gives us access to a much more diverse range of talent, to diverse from a social mobility point of view, diverse from an inclusion and diversity perspective, but also from a generational perspective as well. So we're using in fact, the apprenticeship levy to focus equally on how do we develop our people internally at whatever stage of their career that they might be as well. And I think that feels to me a much more modern way of accessing talent. I sort of feel for us in the UK, the graduate recruitment program wasn't part of our operating model. We weren't like the big four recruiting hundreds in. So it felt for us a bit like yesterday's thinking, whereas the apprenticeship approach feels much more inclusive and much more today and tomorrow's thinking about getting good talent into the organisation. And what was the catalyst for that? Was it the apprenticeship levy and having to think about how to utilise that or was this some sort of thinking that was going along and that was the sort of tipping point? It was probably the latter to be honest. Um, We were already thinking that we're not really getting uh, either the most uh, the right level of talent or the right diversity of talent through a graduate recruitment program and because it was a very small part of how we acquire talent we were already thinking more broadly the apprenticeship levy clearly gave us a catalyst and an opportunity to get some real traction behind it in the organisation which I think is, is super helpful to our broader strategic objectives. And, and any things that you've you've done as a business in terms of reaching out to if you like those um, talent pools that you wouldn't ordinarily have reached um, uh, from a social mobility perspective, you mentioned apprenticeships, but have you seen a change in the in the uh, the, the the breadth of people coming into the business? Yes, we have. We definitely have. Um, we always had quite a diverse focus to it anyway. And we also have a very uh, sophisticated internal resourcing model. So I have an in-house team and we directly source about 96% of our candidates. And we're very high profile in terms of social media, in terms of our LinkedIn, uh, with links in with schools. We've got a work inspiration program. So we're really focusing on as broad a catchment net as we possibly can. But there's more we can do. That's fantastic. And do you find that you're hiring people from uh, financial services um, further up? um, Or are you hiring people into management positions who are coming from other businesses? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm a a huge advocate of, uh, unless you've got a technical requirement to the job. So if you're recruiting an underwriter, chances are there probably been an underwriting before. But many of our roles are broad leadership roles and knowing about insurance is part of it, but not the most important criteria. So absolutely, we look to source talent from a really broad range of backgrounds because fresh perspectives and fresh thinking are are very healthy. And you, you mentioned cultural transformation and employee engagement as, as other critical parts of, of, of what you're doing as well. Um, in terms of the, the, the digital transformation that's, that's been occurring across all business landscapes, how has that impacted on the way you're doing things, uh, the sorts of people that you're looking for? So the sorts of people that we're looking for, I mean, in terms of how we run the business operation, I think it's probably impacted both how we interact with our customers and how we run things behind the scenes. So how we interact with our customers is clearly much more 
online through our website, but not exclusively. We're very aware of the, the personalization of how we deal with customers and not every customer will want to interact with us that way. But we have a big retail business, a big home and car insurance book, and a lot of that can be online. And we're quite clever and sophisticated about how we interact with that. From a back office point of view, so we look at both the skills our people have. So we have people with really clever digital and data skills. So highly sophisticated pricing skills, highly sophisticated customer insight skills, but also how do we use data? So data to inform more customer-led propositions, as well as some of the mechanics around how we price the propositions to our customers. And as part of that is also how we look at AI and robotics to, to automate some of those repeatable, scalable processes to deliver better efficiency, but also better experience for our people too. That's really interesting. and and. One of the conversations I have with a lot of um, senior HR folk, it's the degree to which HR um, is involved in those, you know, on the face of it, technology-driven transformations, whether, uh, to put it another way, whether HR directors are having conversations with the CIO about AI, about blockchain, fintech. What's been your your experience of that, both personally but but as an observer of, of other HR uh, leaders. So I would, I mean, good HR people are involved in transformation, whatever guise and whatever aspect it, it takes. So, um, uh, and so from an AXA point of view, clearly I talked about promoting cultural change has been one of our big strategic priorities. So we get engaged with the business on the conversations about how we're transforming on multiple levels, including the conversation around AI and robotics. So uh, in a material way, we have a, an AI and robotics um, steering committee, if we want to call it something better. I'm a member of that committee and, and contribute to what we're doing and where we're looking at, at um optimizing AI and robotics alongside my sort of CEO peers as well. That's fantastic. And and to what degree do you see yourself as a as a role model? Do you think that being in the position you are, being on the board, um, you've got a, a, a significant role to play in terms of making sure that other people um, get involved in some of the broader conversations around the business? So, I mean, completely. And I think the fact that at the very beginning of our conversation, I described myself as a director first and an HR director second. I think there's there's two things that, whether I'm a role model or not, I don't know, but whether I'm an agitator around, absolutely. So one of them is the role that HR plays commercially. So I'm, I'm borderline obsessed with that. To me, it's so important that it's not just me, but it's every one of my team that can engage in what do we do? What's the customer service we deliver? And and only think of our people agenda in the context of our business strategy, mm. not in the context of doing something special and different just for the sake of it around people. So that the commercial side of what we do is very important. And I think from a transformation point of view, particularly the work we do around cultural change. So I would definitely describe myself as a champion, um, provocateur, agitator around what sort of organization we're trying to cause. So deliberately focusing on things like empowerment, on disruption, on on breaking some of the rules. I'm a bit of a rebel deep down. So uh, I, I like to be able to stir the pot, as I can call it. And, and I do believe that, that cultural change changes when you 
you sort of throw a, throw a rock into the pond and you watch the ripples land. That's how it changes. It doesn't change through big cultural change programs managed on project management systems or spreadsheets. It's what you do in the moment. And I think I can play a role of that around the MC table and I hope my teams do in the conversations they have with the business as well. And any practical examples of that where you've sort of agitated for transformation, cultural transformation? Yeah, I mean, masses of them. Uh, so let's just pick on one of them. So we have, for example, a um, what we now call a CEO forum. So again, with the objective of how do we properly engage with our people? How do we empower? How do we involve? How do we agitate uh, in the business, not just sitting in head office? Um, we have a peer-nominated bunch of people across the UK and Ireland business. So we went out to the organization and said, tell us who the people are who, who agitate change who live the values, nominate your colleagues. We had best part of 2,000 nominations. And on the back of that, we chose about 60 or 70 people to get together with myself and the CEO and other senior leaders and talk about things that are important to us as the organization and what it is that they see in their businesses and the role that they could play to be those agitators locally in the organization. And that's very much about how do we empower, how do we innovate, how do we do things differently? And what's the guiding star of that? I mean, in terms of the, that's in parallel to the fact that, again, as we spoke about last time, the world of work is is changing dramatically. Mm. And we, we, we were speaking mm. about the hundred year life, mm. Um, mm. which I know you were, you were uh, a big fan of. Um, how do you as a business or you as an individual um, gauge what, what, what's relevant how how we're changing what are some of the influences that feed into to the direction yeah, of yeah. travel so i think if i look at maybe the 100 year life first of all so i'm a, i'm a, a huge advocate of of um linda's thinking as well as some of the things that are in the book it it plays to many things in me that you know i'm naturally more strategically focused uh, i'm naturally quite curious uh, and as i always say i'm a bit of a rebel as well so um i think the the proposition around how the world of work will change the idea that people won't just have three-stage careers but multi-stage careers and the whole concept of continuous reinvention and continuous learning are things that uh, sort of anchor our thinking around what could the future look like and what are the things that we should be doing around it? So I think there are probably three or four things that I would call out that I think are, are trends that that maybe we see or we identify that, that might describe a little bit of what the future could look like. So the first is, is that people we see are, employees are rewriting their relationship with their employer. We see that very clearly. So it's not just about the role that you do, it is the sort of organization that you work in. So being in a business with a strong social purpose, with a strong sense of meaning, is something that's increasingly important to people. So who you work with and the culture of your business is as important as the job that you do. And we have a great opportunity in AXA. We have a very clear sense of purpose around empowering people to live a better life, which I think is something that really connects and resonates with people. The second thing I think we would see is the whole pace of change and innovation. So that's back to Linda's thinking about the need to reinvent yourself. And again, within AXA, we're doing a lot of work on digital learning. So recognizing that people like to learn in their own time, in their own way. How do we give them access to digital playlists, to develop skills, to technical hubs, all sorts of things to give them the ability to learn at a time that suits them, but in a way that's sort of orchestrated to make it easy for them. 
The third thing I'd say is we clearly see a trend, people that are li they're living longer, and again, back to Linda's book, therefore working longer as well. So that very much plays to the need to reinvent ourselves, all of us individually, regardless of the time of our career, to the concept of multi-generational working, and I'm very excited about that. I've The sort of millennial conversation feels like that's a bit yesterday's thinking. Let's think about how we can be much more inclusive from a generational point of view, but also the well-being implications of that as well. So um, again, as you know, within AXA, we have a big healthcare business, so that connects very nicely to what actually we do for other organizations. So how can we build a compelling well-being proposition that equips our people to, to deal with change, to deal with ambiguity, both from a job professional perspective but from a physical emotional maybe even financial perspective as well and the final thing I'd say would be I think one of the challenges for us is how do we access talent flexibly so we talked earlier on about apprenticeships I think rewriting the traditional construct of how you employ people so it's not just hey come and join us on a permanent contract on payroll but classic JVs partnerships secondments contingent labor whatever that might be but not just how do you engage them, but where do they work? So the idea that you could do your job from anywhere at any time, system dependent, clearly, and we all have systems challenges, to me feels much more refreshing and much more exciting about how you might best engage with the best talent out in the marketplace. Yeah, no, I mean, just picking up on that last point, um, I completely agree with that. I think one of the things that's that seems to be needed in most people's experience is is the trust that's required to bring people uh, in. It, it, they're not working at a fixed place. Um, they're not visible, but it's based on outputs. Um, I mean, I'm really interested in sort of uh, practical insights to make that work because, of course, it it absolutely makes sense. The trick is in the execution. And any, any observations in terms of what helps this new way of working more flexibly in practice? So I'd make a comment maybe first of all about what doesn't help, which is systems can get in the way. So we have many of our jobs where people are on customer facing systems where we simply don't yet have the technology infrastructure to allow them to do their jobs from anywhere. So recognizing that that, that sort of technology constraint, I think the thing that we've learned is actually the power of role modeling. So role modeling from the most senior level. So from myself, from the rest of the MC, you know, I'm not in the office every day. Of, ev of every week quite the opposite I deliberately try and either be out in sites elsewhere or whether it be working from home because I think people often when you're shifting change they look around for symbols and that's a nice symbol of where you would see well okay if it's okay for, for those guys to do it it's okay for me to do it as well so there's quite a lot of behavioral mo role modeling I think that's probably the one thing that makes the biggest difference around it seeing others do it no that's very powerful and and in terms of where you draw your uh, your insights, your inspiration as a leader um, for this new way of operating. Mm. Any any things you can share? So I guess I mean I said already I'm naturally quite a curious person. So I I do a bit of TED talk of observations we've done. We've just been through a strategic review process. So um, myself and my team have gone quite a lot of external reference points about what's happening in the marketplace. Um, we're engaging with Linda's organisation on the, the future of work. So. We try and, and also my own network as well, of course, we try and keep, I try and keep my observations as broad as possible and as flexible as possible as well. I think back to the point around 
pace of change. You don't want to get too fixed in your thinking about this is what it will look like. Mm. And I think if I think about how do we manage change in organizations, the biggest thing for me is keeping ourselves agile to the fact we don't have all the answers, that the answers are emergent and will change and being okay with that. Mm. And, and that not everybody is. Mm. That, that's the thing. I mean, generally change makes a lot of people feel uncomfortable. Mm. Um, and it tends to be relatively few people mm. that are, are comfortable with that kind of constant agility. How, how have you made it okay for the majority of people? Mm, I, well, I, I don't know if we made it okay for the majority of people. I think there is probably, as you say, lots of people struggle with it. I think you know, when we think about change in the organization and recognizing it's a constant, I think all, ch- all good change starts with why you know w- w- why does it matter to to not always know the answers to know the, to know broadly the north star or the guiding principles that you talked about but i think it's a lot about behaviors so um we try and be highly visible and regular in our communications not always having the answers in those communications mm. having leaders that are out in the business who are living our values and the acts of values are around um, one axer, customer first, integrity and courage. So being authentic to those, even in times of, of ambiguity. And maybe two other thoughts. One is involve people where we can. So I talked about the CEO forum earlier on. We have change advocates across the organization in the ground who we engage with on on, on transformation, who can sort of repli- um, can represent that in the business. And I think the final thing I'd say is, in times of change, which is a constant, the work we do on engagement just gets amplified. So the work we do around how do we involve people? How do we communicate with people? How do we build great leadership skills? How do we create a sense of purpose and a, and a sense of what the North Star is? All of those things become increasingly important in, a, in times of change. No, that's 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 very good. Um, and in terms of, uh, again, referencing our last conversation, you were saying that I think we, we were talking about, a, you know, a CEO reading, I don't know how many books it was, HBR was talking about. It was something like 100 books, oh, uh, right, something yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in terms, and you mentioned access to digital tools and assets. How do you keep pace with, with things? Um, videos, podcasts, reading, What what's your... So it's a combination of all of those things. So I talked earlier about TED Talks, um, my network, um, I, I do I do read business books, but I'm not somebody that reads a business book one day a week. Um, and also, I think in, in all of us are too busy, so it needs to be digestible and easily accessible. People people learn in bite sized chunks, and I'm no different to that. You know, I'll I'll learn from experience and listening and watching rather than necessarily sitting down with a 300 ta- page textbook. So it's a combination of things. Very and talking to others. Very good. And anything that you've read recently that's, um, we've talked about 100 Year Life, but anything else that you've read that you thought that was really good? Uh, ooh, no, no, nothing Nothing big is coming to mind. I have a book that's waiting to be read um, called Radical Candor, yeah. which is apparently about how do you give feedback in a constructive way? So, um, but that's on my bedside table, not yet read. <laughs> so ask me again in maybe in a month's time. <laughs> well, Linda, there's so much more, but I'm conscious of, of, of your time. Um, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's been a pleasure to talk to you too, Jim. Take care. Change Board's sixth Future Talent Conference will be taking place on the 21st of March, 2019 in London at the Royal Geographical Society. Join 750 of your peers for a stimulating day of thought leadership on the theme of technology and humanity. Visit our conference website, ftconf2019.com. 
That's ftconf2019.com to get your discounted early bird ticket now. We look forward to bringing you another Future Talent podcast very soon.